Travel Growth Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Travel Growth Podcast. I'm Tom McLaughlin, founder of SEO Travel, and this is where I speak to successful travel business leaders and dig into the successes, challenges, and learnings from their experiences over the years, so you, the listener, can take away actionable advice to enhance your own businesses and maybe even lives too. My guest today is Reva Bakke. Reva is the COO at SA Expeditions, a virtual travel company that specializes in curating bespoke, privately guided travel experience to the Americas and increasingly to other destinations around the world too. She's a strong believer in the power and responsibility of travel to create positive change, and she takes a unique purpose-led approach to business leadership and team building. Trips created by SA Expeditions are designed not only to benefit travelers, but everyone impacted by them from local communities to the people in the business who actually run them too. As someone who's clearly hugely driven by personal development, Reva has so much to bring to the table in this conversation. We go into depth on B Corp and the journey to get there, benefits of doing it and why B Corp is important. I'm personally fascinated by this topic as it's a journey we've embarked upon with SEO Travel and I love hearing other people's experiences about it. This also ties into the wider conversation about purpose and what drives the growth of SA Expeditions, which is not your typical travel business, from its virtual initiatives to its direction, which is starting to veer towards becoming a tech company and an Uberized form of travel, as Reva puts it. She has some excellent tips for women in business and hunting balance as a mum, changing paths from being a DMC, and also what made her take a punt on a couple of guys setting up a new travel company many moons ago. I loved everything about this conversation. There's direct, actionable advice based on Reva's experiences. There's thorough, educated insight into business and travel, twinned with a nice dose of idealism as well. And there's also plenty of humility to show that Reva doesn't feel like she's got it all worked out despite having achieved so much already. We recorded this one in 2021 whilst the pandemic was still a big factor, but I knew as soon as we spoke that this would need to bookend the second season of the podcast as we squeezed so much into it and Reva shared so much value in what she said. I've no doubt you'll thoroughly enjoy this and you'll leave it with buckets of tips and things that you want to do. And I'm super grateful to Reva for coming on the show and sharing all this with us. So without further ado, this is me talking to Reva Bakke. Reva, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Um, yeah, it's been great getting to know you over the last couple of months. Um, yeah, obviously we kind of uh cross paths i think we got in touch with you to talk about talk about maybe doing some work for you and um yeah i found out a little bit more about the business and as we dug into things i could see there was lots of interesting stuff going on so uh so yeah i'm excited to kind of take that and that it's led to to doing this and i'm sure from what you're doing there's loads of fab stuff in there so i'm sure the people who are listening will will have lots to take away and uh, we'll have lots of interesting stuff to talk about now I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Good stuff. So I guess um, to start at the beginning, why don't you tell us a little bit just about how you got interested and excited about travel in the in the first place? Um, you know, I really got the travel bug from pretty young. I uh, my parents had we were they were actually both scientists and ended up take, doing conferences in Europe um, pretty regularly. So as little as eight years old, I think they took me to, uh, to Europe. And then, so it was just sort of part of my life, um, fortunately from very young. And, and I ended up you know, spending all of my money and all of my free time growing up um, 
towards travel. So I went to a lot of def different de destinations with friends from very little and even took a gap year between high school and college and uh, went to Europe for basically eight months total, like two, four month stints to just backpack around, um, which was really the most incredible experience. Uh, and, you know, never been able to do something like that, quite like that again. But um, yeah, that was all before college even. So it's just, it's always been a very important part of my life, traveling and getting to go to new destinations and um, see new places, new people, new perspectives. So it's just yeah. part of my identity. Nice. And yeah. <laughs> nice. And, and how, was that like a normal thing when you were that age? Was that something all your friends were doing? Like you said, you went, when you went and did the backpacking, was it like common to be going and doing that? Um, I'd heard definitely, but it, when I'd heard of others doing it, they were in their 20s. So I think it was pretty uncommon to go at such a young age. My brother had done it after college. He's a good bit older than me. So that was probably the original inspiration. Um, and then I just had other friends that were kind of rebellious and wanted to get, I don't know, do something a bit unusual. So I had, you know, fellow, you know, comrades that were willing to, to embark on these journeys with me. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, and what took you, tell us, tell us a bit more about the journey then from, if you did that, like you said, before college, maybe take us the next stage. So from, I think you said you went to Pitzer College. So maybe kind of take us from there, how your experiences there molded, what you then went on to do. And I guess just like a brief overview of what filled that gap between there and, and getting to work in a, a SA Expeditions. Pitzer College is a is a liberal arts school, and they um, they really value international and intercultural uh, perspectives, and so they were very encouraging of doing study abroads and um, and taking a global perspective just about on just about anything and everything. So in college, I ended up going on this really unique study abroad to Argentina uh, that studied kind of the whole southern cone, so Argentina, Uruguay. Um, Brazil, and and we got to travel around, and um, I ended up doing a thesis on the 2001 uh, economic crisis in Argentina, and and how really the the people reacted to that experience, um, and I just got totally enamored with with the region. I really learned Spanish um, in Argentina, which is a very unique form of Spanish. So um, I really fell in love with it, and. After I came back from that study abroad, I, I finished school and felt like I just didn't, I didn't quite have enough um, time there. So I returned and I went back to Argentina and I went up to Salta, like which is really close to the Bolivian border, so that I could get as far away from expats and Americans as possible and really um, learn Spanish uh, faster and, 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 and become more fluent in the language. And after a year of teaching English there, um, we were in the 2008-2009 economic crises in the U.S. So I wasn't too inspired to return back and, you know, just fight with all of my peers for the few jobs that were available at the time. Um, yeah. So I got invited actually to go to Peru. And I had been to Peru at 16 years old um, because my brother married a Peruvian. And so um, that was my last experience there. And 
uh, I didn't necessarily think I'd end up going back, but they invited me to spend the summer at their beach house, which at like 25, you just can't say no to. And so I went there for a few months and then I ended up deciding to stay and tried to find work and fell into the travel industry. And, uh, it was just like a natural fit for me because of how much I had traveled and how passionate I was about it, um, to go into, you know, this industry where I could hopefully help others, um, have the same kind of transformative experiences that I had had. And so I ended up starting small, um, working in travel in Peru and, 12 years went by and I'm still based in Peru. <laughs> so <laughs> And what was that first what was that first job then when yeah when you started? Um I was just selling travel, pretty kind of like more budget travel, but but um not necessarily to backpackers. It was really to all ages, but um for you know destinations like Machu Picchu mainly and um a little bit of Argentina and Chile. And so I just had had so much firsthand experience going to these destinations that it was easy for me to help clients, you know, customize their own trips and um, and get what they wanted out of their experience. So that's what yeah. I started with. And from there, I ended up meeting um, Nick and Dave, who were expats in, in California as well and had come. They had recently come from having finished their MBAs. They're both about four years older than me. And. Um, they were excited about starting their own business and, and, um, putting to work everything they had learned in their MBAs. So they co-founded, um, SA Expeditions and brought me on pretty early. Um, and so that's, that was, you know, over 10 years ago and the three of us are still here working hard together. So it's a pretty incredible story really that, that we've stuck together for so long and, and been growing this business together. Yeah, amazing, amazing. T- tell me, put us in that kind of paint the picture of you working in Peru. There's these two guys setting up their 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 new business. I guess you, you must have been in a I don't know some sort of established place. What what made you decide I'm going to kind of take a punt and go and work with these guys these guys who have come from Dundee <laughs> and just starting up a new thing? Um, they were super passionate about. Uh, providing a form of travel that was meaningful, um, that was a really high quality product. Um, they wanted to do things a little bit differently. They were, um, you know, they were expats in Peru. So they were for many years. So they were super passionate about the country. Um, so they were just really incredible partners to work with. Um, I, I felt like I could learn a lot from them and I really had nothing to lose. I was excited to get involved with a business uh, at such early stages. I just felt like there was so much to learn and be exposed to. And so I just jumped on board. I thought, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'll, there's plenty of other things I can go off and pursue. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, I never would have imagined, you know, what it would turn into. But yeah, it was really fun um, in those early years, getting, getting it off the ground. And um, there was a adrenaline to, you know, making sure that we earn enough money every month to keep the business going. Um, and that pressure that I felt as their one, one of the only salespeople at the time to, to, to convince travelers that we were the ones to show them, you know, these incredible destinations. Um, and, and so it was exciting. It was an exciting time. And I had, I, I always, 
I hate to be bored. I love to travel and do new things. And I guess this was kind of like a new, a new way to, to pursue that in business. Yeah. And what did your role look like when you were starting there? You said, was that, was it predominantly just sales? It was yeah. sales, but because we were a brand new company, there was a lot of structure being laid down. So there was a lot of debate between each other about, you know, just the best way to organize things, the best way to communicate. Um, so it was sales, but there was so much more to it to really refine the process and get the, the organization kind of, um, you know, grounded. Yeah. Okay. And so we'll, I guess we'll come into, we'll come on to like what the business looks like in the present day in a little while, but yeah, t take us on the journey then from s jumping on board with the, yeah, with, with Nick and Dave the to like the steps, the steps from there as it, as it grew and, and other things that happened along the way. Sure. The, the early years were really about, I think, refining the product. So we wanted to make sure that the experiences were top notch, that we were working with the best accommodations. And I don't mean necessarily like the most uber luxury. We, we were doing um, strategically trying to cater to a higher end in the market because because we wanted these trips to be really incredible. And if they were too, you know, budget oriented, they wouldn't be able to fulfill that. So a higher end of the market, but not necessarily the Uber luxury, because our goal was to be able to give you the, give you the most bang for your buck, really, so that you could get a really valuable, really quality experience without breaking the bank. Um, so we were working to partner with accommodations that were more boutique, were really oriented towards just a really quality experience. And also working with the very best guides that we could find so that um, because the guide is everything on these trips. They are your host, you know, your advocate, um, your friend, and they're the local that understands the, the local experience and can really help translate that for you so, and, and introduce you to people in places so that you have a really engaging experience. Um, so we worked a lot on the product and the operational side of things in the early years. Um, and then we actually decided to open our own uh, DMC for a while in Peru. It was our main destination, um, being at that, that's where we were located and the, the destination we knew the best. And so we decided, you know, we could probably do this um, just as well as anyone. Let's, let's open up a DMC and get it going. And so that was a couple of years of really um, dedicated focus. And ultimately in 2014, we decided to close it because we were just overstretched, um, which was a really challenging right. experience, but we had learned so much in doing the DMC, in, in managing our own operations in Peru that I think ultimately it made us so much stronger. It was extremely valuable to understand our partners now going forward. Um, but that was a phase in itself. Uh, so when we closed the, that business, we focused 100% on um, the U.S. business, the business that was dedicated to trip designing. And um, we, we, we actually transitioned to a, to a totally virtual company at the time, too, which was a, okay. a big shift. And we went really inward. We, had, we felt like we had come a long way on, the, on developing the product, and we decided to focus more on our own business culture and making sure that our team had, which was growing every year, that they had, you know, um, a really positive business culture, that they had professional opportunities, that they could expand their skill sets and 
um, felt excited and passionate about working with us. So there was a lot of work in and a lot of focus on that. Um, so that was that that was part of the evolution, a really important part of the evolution that we carry forward. And really, the next phase was that we decided, you know, we don't want to just give transformational experiences to our clients, but we want to make sure that all the stakeholders are benefiting from our trips. So we did a lot of, um, you know, activities and focus on looking at our supply chain, looking at, uh, you know, how our trips were impacting like the local places and people and communities. And we were seeing a lot of, you know, over tourism happening in certain destinations that were, um, that were putting the destinations and the communities at risk and thinking, how can we use our platform to build awareness um, about other destinations to bring people to, you know, there's, there's these incredible ruins in Peru that see like, you know, 10,000 visitors a year compared to the one and a half million that go to Machu Picchu. So yeah. why are we all funneling into this one place and putting this incredible historic monument at risk in, instead of diversifying and going to more remote places that can bring sustainable development to the communities in that area, help protect the landmarks that are disappearing. Um, so there was there was a lot of focus on that. We went carbon neutral, you know, I'm really wrapping up a, a lot of years. In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> taking you through the flow of, you know, kind of our, our evolution to bring us to where we are now. I mean, we even became B Corp um, certified uh, and and, and, and have been carrying this, these values forward um, and, and are really excited about all the other things that we can um, get involved with in the future. Yeah, cool. There's, uh, yeah, there's a few things there that I, I'm going <laughs> to delve into in a little bit more, a bit more detail, Reva. I think let's, if we start with the, um, the kind of growing the business and like the team and the things that you mentioned there. So as a kind of headline, just to introduce it, tell us what the, team looks like now in terms of sort of permanent staff that, that you have and then you've, you've obviously talked about that relationship with the guides like give us a bit more insight into the structure and how how it is structured uh, at the moment sure so um right now we are a team of i mean we we have about five main managers that that uh manage different aspects of the company from brand to sales to business development to tech. Um, and then we have another five that help with admin, with tech, with marketing. Um, and, and then we have about, you know, 12 in sales that are the actual trip designers that are working with our, um, directly with our clients to design the trips. Uh, and, and then we have a network of reps and guides across all of our partner, our on the ground partners throughout uh, the Americas that we're partnered with to operate the trips. So this is standard in the business. Well, many clients might not be aware, but when you're working at a global level, you know, with all of the um, different laws in place between countries, you don't, a single company is not actually a single company you know it, mm -hmm. it consists of a whole network of companies that work together to pull off these incredible trips for you so um you might have a transport company that's working with the local um ground operator that's working with the client facing um, trip designing 
business and we're all working in coordination together across the globe um, to to be able to you know provide uh, a certain standard of a trip and the way the trips are designed might be varied you know business to business depending on their values and and how they're set up their business model but um, so we have guides that don't necessarily work directly for our business, but that are exclusive guides for our business. And yeah. what's unique about us is that we're, because we had this firsthand experience operating our own, um, ground operator, we really understand the ins and outs of how the business, those businesses, um, function and have a, been able to work directly with a lot of guides to set up, you know, a certain standard of, um, of service and um, and also make sure that they are receiving you know compensation according like in the most fair and ethical way possible because you're working with you know very varied uh, standards of living across many different countries around the world so um, there's just a lot of room for I think um, taking advantage of people in whenever you have you know multi you know leveled global companies. Um, and so we've always been really like conscious about um, making sure that even the most underserved people that are part of our network are, are being seen and being um, hopefully taken care of. And so um, that was always a big part of it, making even uh, advocating for their, their pay um, mm. and building it into our cost model. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, I guess, um, you know, you were talking about culture there and like you say, it's, I guess that runs through not just the people who are, as you say, sort of directly connected, but all that wider team. If you've got guides who are exclusive to you and trying to get that to run from top to bottom, how do you do that when you, you talked about the remote team and obviously people being spread out so much? How do you, how do you instill culture in that, yeah, across, across that kind of uh, broad set of <laughs> locations? <laughs> It's definitely a topic of interest now that so many more companies have gone remote. And I love that because people, I think clients used to be a little bit confused or nervous about us being a remote company. And now that it's becoming more and more commonplace, that's dissipating. Um, but uh, there's, it definitely has its own challenges. And what we do is one, we get together in person as much as we can. So even though we are a remote company across the globe, um, and it is a bit challenging, you know, whenever some of us are in, you know, near one another, we'll promote, you know, smaller, like mini um, gatherings as much as possible throughout the year. And we always do an annual, you know, summit where it's dedicated to bringing all of our, everyone in our network together. Um, we've done it for, you know, over five years where we bring together the, our guides, our exclusive guides, our, you know, our, our design team, our admin team, you know, our management team, our sales team, even the reps that work, that collaborate with us in the ground operators in that partner that are partnered with us, we bring all of us together. So we're not even technically all, you know, under the same business, but we're an umbrella of a network that together make pulls these trips off and and provides these incredible experiences so we get everybody together and we really kind of just do an incredible experience for us it helps us <laughs> reconnect to you know why we are in this business and it also allows us you know um, an opportunity to just 
kick back and, and, you know, have fun together, build trust, build, build that, that bond that carries us through the year, um, to be able to work and collaborate more easily. Like our people on our sales team that are our trip designers will be, you know, dancing salsa with our exclusive guides. And so it, it, it brings, it brings it full circle so that our team really does um, stay integrated and, and knows each other quite well, despite, you know, the, the large distances and the, and sometimes um, very infrequent, you know, engagement that we have with each other, depending on where you are in that um, network. So yeah. we do these incredible trips together um, and we'll reflect on the year past and talk about where we want to go in the future. But more than anything, we just have a great time together. Yeah. Can you, can you paint the picture a little bit more of that then? What is it? How does it look? What is it? A, is it a weekend somewhere? Where do you go? Like, yeah, what, we yeah, do. Kind of, what does it look like? We do like four or five days. Um, and every single year we go somewhere different. And, uh, since we have been specialized in South America, um, it, you know, the last 10 years, it's always been a different, a different place in South America. So we've gotten together in, um, Rio, in the Galapagos, in, um, in Guayaquil, Ecuador, in, um, in Lima. So, you know, we've, we've hit a lot of different destinations. Um, this year we're actually full circle coming back to Lima for our summit, um, where we were founded. And so the last time we did an event here, uh, an annual summit here was, you know, um, many, many, many years ago. So it's exciting for us to come back together, um, in Lima where it all began and, uh, bring, bring the whole team together. Um, we're going to be in the sacred Valley and going on incredible hikes and, um, you know, enjoying, enjoying the beautiful mountains. And, uh, I, I know it's going to be an incredible experience for the team. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Who better to, who better to plan a trip to, to go there? It's, it's a pretty <laughs> yeah. easy one, isn't it? For yeah. almost that people in that team. Right. Um, and, and what about the, I, you know, again, going diving into the remote nature of things again, because you've clearly kind of been able to make that work, like you say, long before it became the norm more recently. Um, have you got any kind of advice, any things, what kind of systems do you have in place that have helped that? that work over the years to be to be effective yeah we use all kinds of um applications to help coordinate with one another um you know we have a we we have regular standing meetings uh so that we can uh at least as as the management team um make sure that we're we're clear on what our goals are and um checking in to see what what each other needs to help support one another to reach those goals so there's a lot of coordination, um, but now there's just so many applications that can help facilitate that. So um, just just about taking advantage, getting a system in place that works for you, and taking advantage of that. Um, and our our trip designers um, are strategically, you know, quite independent. So we do have a system in place where they can collaborate with each other and really um, pull from each other's knowledge and expertise, um, but the best thing that they can do is be out traveling. And so, I mean, this doesn't make sense as a travel company to require all of your trip designers to sit in the same office every day. Um, it's just, it, 
it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> they should be out. <laughs> yeah. They should be out exploring and and traveling and getting gaining that firsthand experience, which makes them, you know, the expert to talk to in the beginning. So we are you know, we would we would love to facilitate as much travel as possible. We have um, we have that built in a bit to our structure to help them um, support them in, in doing more traveling every year. Um, and also giving them the flexibility and the freedom to uh, to be, you know, sort of digital nomads if that's if, if they want and get out and explore as much as they can. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, yeah, I guess for, a, uh, you know, a lot of the bigger travel companies, like you say, the people who are selling the trips or planning the trips have never been to the place they're talking about or they were there five years ago and loads, so much has changed. And uh, again, yeah, it, ma- it makes perfect sense that those people should be out on the road kind of uh, in amongst it the whole time and I imagine there's financial benefits to doing it that way as well rather than trying to keep people kind of holed up in a in an office all in the same place and all the overheads that come with that. Yeah there definitely is I mean being able to use what the, the funds that would go to rent to instead plan these incredible summits for each other and um and 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 support our team's travel it, it's a huge benefit it's a win-win for everybody um, and for, I think for the people that work as trip designers with us, um, I think it's a lifestyle and, and we're seeing that more and more where people are integrating their work with their, with their life, with their personal life and finding the right balance there. Um, but it truly is a lifestyle when you want to, I, I think when you, when you're really going to excel at this type of, um, position to get out and travel as much as you can and weave that into your work. Have you, this, that's an interesting topic because that's something we're talking about a lot at the moment in, in our business is kind of finding that, um, finding that balance between the personal and the professional so that it's blurred enough that coming to work doesn't feel like, oh no, I've got to go to work on Monday morning. It's like, oh no, I, I wanna, I'm excited to go there. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're going to work anymore. How do you manage that balance with people where there is that feel, um, to make sure that things are getting done that need to be getting done and it doesn't kind of veer too far towards the, uh, you know, going out and having, having, having too much <laughs> of a laugh with, without doing the, you know, without doing the things that need doing. You know, our, our trip designers are, um, do work heavily on commission. So it's kind of built into the compensation structure. Um, they will get out of it what they put into it. Um, mm. So they're automatically, you know, self-motivated to, to, to at least spend some time on the trip designing itself and not just the, uh, the traveling. Um, and, and then similarly, I think it requires that you just have a lot of trust in the team and work with, with, with good people that have, you know, that are accountable, that have integrity, that are, um, and, and that, that are all believe in the purpose of the company. So, I mean, if you really believe in the purpose and you're excited about the work, of course, there's some level of, you know, this is work and, you know, there's some days that it can be a drag, but, but ultimately you're excited about what you do, like you said, and, and excited to, to come to work every day. So it, it blends more nicely. And, you know, our, our management team has, um, unlimited, you know, time off. So we, we just, I think we 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 are bonded and and have worked together enough where um, we're all tied to this ultimate goal. We're all clear on how we're going to get there, and we spend a lot of time on on working through that every quarter. Um, 
so there's just a lot of trust that, you know, we're going to show up for each other um, as well as give ourselves, you know, that time off that we need in, in order to, you know, be our best when we are working. And yeah, it really comes nice. down to the individual, I think, a lot. It, it's a hard balance to find um, and it and it differs person to person. So I think it requires that the organization be supportive and listen um, to each person as well as um, creating a a structure that that really that really like supports this this type of work yeah yeah that's it there's not a one-size-fits-all that uh you just have sort of force upon every individual that comes in and uh, they're expected to behave that way or yeah adhere to whatever that that structure is mm-hmm. they get the they get the freedom with it yeah um just going back to one of the things you said you said uh there's, there's lots of tools out there that you can use in terms of the, I guess, the communication and kind of keeping in touch and things. Are you happy to share anything in particular that, you know, any particular ones that you that you use that you find you find helpful? Yeah, we use Jira, we use Airtable, you know, we use the Microsoft Suite, um, even even Google Docs. So there's a number of, of different applications that, that serve, yeah. you know, different purposes among the team. Yeah, yeah. In our in our kind of transition over the last six months, we we switched to using Slack about six months ago and made all kind of all the communications open so that everyone could basically see everything, all the conversations that everyone was having. Having and it's had a remarkable effect on that, you know, because we're trying to implement this scenario where there is kind of no hierarchy and everyone can get involved where they want to get involved and they see what's going on but you have to have that transparency to for people to see it which when we were in emails you know you just don't get that you you know there's so many siloed conversations that people right don't don't, don't kind of have visibility of and since we changed to to using slack it's been um and, and using slack in the right way i think i've seen slack used terribly like many platforms uh you can you can do it well and you can do it badly but um yeah the person who introduced it to us and introduced the method of using it uh, it's been kind of really a pretty monumental change that we've seen since we implemented that. Yeah, I've used Slack um, for, you know, particularly when I was doing my MBA, um, I got to know Slack and uh, I can definitely see the benefits of it. We have a transition to it as a company. Um, Skype is still widely used in Latin America. And so it's mm-hmm. been... Um, it's been hard to let go of and, and, and we might someday, I'm not sure, but, um, but we, do, we use it similarly where we have a lot of group conversations dedicated to different purposes. Um, so you can, you can get involved in the conversation or not and just watch. Um, we also do these open meetings weekly where our core team kind of reviews what we've been working on and where, where we're headed for, you know, the next week. And it's an open meeting, meaning that anyone on our, anyone on our network can listen in and um, chime in with feedback or questions if they have any. Um, so we, we are a huge proponent of transparency too. And we, we usually put a lot on paper um, in emails and, you know, send out to the entire team um, and, and are open to have really transparent conversations about just about anything in the business to anyone that wants to know. Um, that's definitely a, a core value that we that we hold, and um, I think it's really important because it helps you stay accountable. So you know, nothing murky is going on behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, 
absolutely yeah no it's been great for me in particular because that is that uh you know things even just from a sense of making sure I do the things that I say I'm going to do you mm-hmm. know suddenly every, everyone's fully aware of what those things are rather than me being able to quietly uh, get away with them and yeah remove them from the list and no one ever to be you know, all know in the first place <laughs> exactly um, the, you mentioned there the, that the open meeting sounds sounds great you you mentioned uh your kind of quarterly management meeting I think you said that you that you have as well mm-hmm. can you can you give us some insight into what you cover in that what's like what's the nature of that kind of meeting to again I guess stay on top of, of progress when you're doing things remotely we use the OKR system, and so we've adapted it to work for us. But it's basically um, consists of putting larger objectives that you have for the quarter and then outlining the initiatives and the key results that are going to um, measure whether you attained them or not. And so uh, we'll put out our objectives for each, for each quarter or um, each uh, even putting out so objectives that last over um, several quarters and the initiatives that we need to um, to do to, to accomplish those objectives and how we'll know if we if we succeeded or not, right? What the key results are. So um, we will prepare that for every quarter. We have mid-quarter meetings to check in and see how it's going, see if we, you know, if we've got enough resources or if we if we need to abandon a certain um, an initiative because it's just not working. So that system has really worked well. Uh, for us. I know, you know, different businesses use different forms of, of that, of the OKR system or key results, but that's been our, the structure that's helped us. Yeah. Okay. And in that, how many people are in, how many people are in that, are in that meeting? Um, with, with each other? About seven of us are in that meeting. Okay. Yeah. And, and is there, I think maybe in one of our previous conversations, you said that you kind of became a partner in the business with with Nick, is that right? That, right? So there's you two as the partners in the business and then you've got the management structure as well. So if I could just kind of take that into kind of having a successful relationship with a with a business partner and like how, yeah, I guess Nick is the one of the founders initially and then being someone who kind of comes in slightly later. Yeah, how would you, what tips would you give? What advice would you give to keeping <laughs> that kind of relationship? Uh, yeah, positive. Um, I think it's taken a lot of um, just open conversation and and even you know our own, working on our own um, personal development has been key. Um, me, myself, uh, Nick, Dave, and Stacy, our sales manager, have all been part of the business since the beginning. Um, and in 2014, 15, when we closed that DMC, Dave actually left for a few years. Um, as we and I came in as partner with Nick and that was a time where we were kind of restructuring and we went virtual and figuring out you know um, how we were going to grow the business what we were going to do next and then um, Dave came back just before you know the pandemic hit and he um, we're super excited to have him back he he was the uh, operational manager for Cabify for several years, which is a major competitor to Uber in in South America, and so um, he, I think he gained some some really valuable skills um, in the time that he left, and he came back and is, has been pivotal in helping us grow um, the tech side of our business again, um, which is going to be essential um, to stay competitive, obviously in in the future. So. 
Um, it's throughout all of that transition, uh, we've always remained friends. We've always been um, just real honest with each other. Um, we've always wanted to support each other, wanted the best for each other, but also sometimes you just have to face the 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 realities of business. So um, we don't we don't like to like pretend that we're a family and that there's not like business involved in this um, ultimately, but. But we are we are all friends and want the best for each other. And I think having that at the core, um, that we're just I think genuinely good people has been key to keeping us um, working well together. That said, we have arguments, we have you know, we have friction, and it just requires I think oftentimes looking inward and thinking, okay, what do I need to be like a better teammate or you know better professional? I ended up going back to get my MBA. That was really important to me. Um, at a certain point. And um, so it's a balance of like thinking, what does the organization need and what are the, what does each individual need that's going to help carry us forward? And it might, you know, it might, and being open and understanding that like, we might not all be able to work together forever. There might be times where we do need to separate and that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think change, changing the thing in your head to, being like you want the out, you want an outcome, and you're just push always pushing to get the outcome versus thinking what are the things that need doing, and then we'll see what the outcome is when we do those things that are the right things. Yeah, to I do. mean, you have Again, a general like, like north star, but you have to be flexible and um, and be able to you know shift and think outside the box and and not be too attached to anything. And and I think also a big um, lesson is that we have been doing our best to avoid, you know, um, making decisions based on fear. So that's not, that's never going to get you too far. Right. So whether it's like fear of, um, I don't know, any potential outcome or, or, or change, you know, it's, 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 it's always good to think about, um, what's best for everyone as opposed to like making decisions out of, of a fear of a certain outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Dave coming back in and coming from Cabify. I think, again, previously when we chatted, you talked about having a kind of Uberized form of travel mm -hmm. uh, in, in the business. Can you tell me a bit more about what you mean by that and how, yeah, like why, why do you want that? Why is it a good way to do it? I think one, um, the, the goal is to allow the trip, trip designers to have as much independence and flexibility as possible, like we talked about before. So how do you set up a model that allows for that? And one of, one of the key components of that is having a really strong application at the center that helps you do your work, be efficient, stay connected, but not always have to be in the same room with everybody else. So um, Dave's been incredible at helping us develop that. Uh, we have our own proprietary system um, application that we're growing that allows for um, custom trip designing and quoting. And that's really, really hard to find in the business. There's some um, softwares you can buy off the shelf, but they they don't necessarily, because they're supposed to be able to, you know, tend to a lot of different businesses, they're, they're not as they don't always hit all the boxes, take all the boxes for what you need. And so developing a software that allows you to quote custom trips for small groups um, is 
is extremely difficult and something that we've decided to embark on. And, and, and I think we're, I think it's going to be the key to our success ultimately, because what it does is um, it allows the destination experts, our trip designers to quote on the spot, um, really uh, high quality, um, unique trips and a new trip for every single person um, in a matter of minutes and spits out a custom itinerary. This process usually takes in the business two days um, because nice. it requires, you know, the trip designer who may or may not know the, the destination, talk to the in the on the ground person who puts the quote together, who has to talk to the accommodations or to the tours to quote it and then send it back to you and then explain it and then back to, I mean, it's a whole process. So if you can condense that into two hours and have the quality maintained, um, that's an incredible, you know, power. And that's what we're doing. And so you... just Go to on, bring it yeah. back to Uber, <laughs> um, having a decentralized organization with a strong application in the sense like Uber, where people are self-motivated based on how the structure is set up, and 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 gives them full flexibility to connect in and work when they want. You know, that's that's the Uberized model that we're bringing into custom travel. Yeah, nice. Have you are you morphing from a travel business into a tech business? Then is that yes. is it is it something you're just using for yourself, or will that be something that becomes like a goes out to the masses to possibly? To use? Yeah, it's yeah. it's. It's on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, so you mentioned purpose earlier a couple of times. Take us into, and we took you mentioned the B Corp stuff as well. So mm -hmm. take us into that kind of side of things with your your purpose. What is the purpose of the business? How did the B Corp process kind of come about, and you know, kind of intertwine with that? Well, like I said, we we really wanted to look inward and make sure that what we were doing was having a positive impact, not only on the clients, but everyone involved in our trips. So that starts with, you know, our guides, like I mentioned, um, and and also, of course, brings in the question of over tourism. And so um, one day, Nick, our co-founder, called me up and was like, you know what? I want to hike the entire uh, Great Inca Trail um, from Ecuador to Peru. And I, I wasn't even really familiar with what, what it was. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's see, you know, where this goes. But the, the, the impetus was, you know, he was, he was hiking trails in California and thinking, you know, all of these people come to hike these incredible trails in, in California. And they don't know that much beyond the four-day Inca Trail in Machu Picchu, there's this huge network of, you know, pre-Inca Inca trails that actually the Incas used, you know, for their empire. Um, and besides the three-day, you know, trail that, that gets so heavily marketed, um, nobody knows about these other trails. And it's silly. We should go, we should hike it, we should build awareness about around it and help pull that demand, you know, um, spread it out across the country and across multiple countries, in fact. Um, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site and it's disappearing. And so that's kind of where we started with um, him hiking the entire trail. We documented it. We have an ebook uh, um, that shows the day-to-day -day experience. And then from there, we pulled certain um, sections of the trail that um, 
we wanted to highlight and work together with the local communities there um, on how we could bring, you know, tourism to the area in a sustainable way um, and and sort of promoting these trips. So it started there. From there, we thought, you know, we got into um, reforestation projects. We got we went carbon neutral and we thought, you know, we wanted to. We want to do all these things in an authentic, sincere way, um, but we also wanted, I, I learned about um, B Corp and thought this is an incredible shift in business that I want to be a part of where um, any type of business around the world is promising that they're going to um, consider all of their stakeholders and not just, you know, becoming the most profitable business, but thinking about, um, you know, how being legally bound essentially to consider all their stakeholders. And I really believe wholeheartedly that that's the shift that we need to see in business and consumers are starting to demand it. But the more we can see that shift in business around the world, the faster we're going to have, I think, the positive impact to, to um, you know, in, to save the world essentially on one cause at a time. And so uh, it, it's a it's a certification that I think is really powerful. It's not perfect, but um, little by little, if we can help educate people about um, authentic, you know, uh, positive work happening out there, because the B Corp process is basically a third party audit of your business and how you are affecting workers, community, you know, the environment. Um, it's 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 holding you to a very high standard um, for, you know, how your business impacts um, everybody. And it, it's an extremely challenging certification to get. And so um, it was also kind of an opportunity for us to see, are we doing what we say we're doing? Are we doing it well? Let's have someone else come in and dig through, every, you know, all of our inner workings and, and kind of put us to the test. And so it was extremely gratifying when we got it. Um, and I also think it's a powerful tool to help clients know that they're, or travelers know that, you know, this is what we stand for. Um, and uh, it's, it's increasingly hard to distinguish what's greenwashing out there, what's, you know, what businesses are really doing behind the scenes. And so um, I think it's important to have these kinds of audits in place. Um, to, to help consumers understand, you know, who they're really working with. So we went through that process, got B Corp certified, um, spent a lot of, of time and resources and, and money on promoting the Great Inca Trail in particular. And we're still, um, we're still behind that cause. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, interested to see what other what other projects that we can get involved with to build awareness, um, conservation and support communities. Yeah, cool. Can you give us, uh, I guess, a few examples of the kind of, you said, you know, getting the audit and digging around in the depths of, of things that you're doing. Ooh, they Can you look... give us a few, a, few, a few examples of that, like how and how long did it take process, the process from end to end? Is it, and is it something you'd recommend, you know, people who are listening who run small travel businesses, is it something you would, you would recommend to them? I would highly recommend it. I mean, even if you just get started by taking the initial survey that they have online to kind of understand where you think you fall um, and get inspired about changes that you can make, you know, is a good place to start because you can see, um, you can get a clear idea of, of 
you know, ideas of where of where you can take things in the future, even if it's if it's kind of a far away um, goal. So that's a good place to start. And that's kind of where we started. And we thought, you know, I think we can do this. Um, it took, I think, I think two years. It was Corey, our brand manager, that really took um, took the the lead on the project. So she was uh, gathering all the evidence and making sure that, um, and 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 most of it we had, but then there were some small changes that we made. Like we implemented a um, charity matching program so that our team could um, donate. Uh, to certain charities and we would match it through, through, for example, as one small thing that we implemented. Um, mm-hmm. We, it helped us get organized because they asked for so much evidence and there were tons of things that we knew we did, but we didn't really have it tracked. So it made us, yeah. it, it challenged us to put things down on paper, gather all the evidence. Um, there was a lot to do with our work on the Great Inca Trail that was involved and how, um, how we helped support uh economic development of the communities along the trail and build awareness and, and work with different partners, not just in the industry, but governments, nonprofits to, 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 um, to help, you know, build awareness about, about the importance of saving the, the Great Inca Trail. Yeah. Um, and then tying, tying that back to the, uh, the purpose again, I get on the website, you've got the three things. You've got community, conservation, awareness as your kind of three Three pillars on the website. Mm -hmm. There, in a a kind of practical sense, what does that, how does purpose kind of feed into what you do? I mean, this is obviously a crossover there with the things you're talking about with B Corp, but yeah, Mm -hmm. day to day, what, how does that guide what you're, what you're doing, what the business is doing? So the purpose itself is that we, we want to be a travel company that not only provides incredible trips for our travelers, but does have, you know, does act as a force for good in the world. So how that means um, protecting the, the, the destinations, like the delicate environments that, you know, make up these destinations, perhaps. It means um, supporting our workers, supporting the communities that are, are impacted by our trips. Um, and so that's where the, conservation community awareness comes from. So one awareness pillar is building um, awareness around these destinations and the importance and the need and the how-to to to protect them. Um, We're bringing all of these travelers, these destinations, and and if we don't consider this, there won't be destinations to visit. I mean, how we conserve these places is extremely important um, while still supporting you know travel and allowing people to come and and open their minds to new perspectives and new places i think it's you one you we can't stop traveling it's a it's like an innate human need so how do we do it in a responsible way so um the awareness pillar is about using our platform to build awareness around these topics you know the conservation um piece is like i said making sure that the way that we travel is responsible and sustainable for these um, for for the you know ecosystems that we're going to. So um, mm. when you think about Patagonia, the Galapagos, you know all of these places are delicate, and we need to make sure that we're not bringing in you know millions of tourists in in a way that's ultimately hurting. I mean, if you think about the Inca Trail, um, it is regulated. 
which is super important, but I mean, you have people going up and down with horses and, and the, the hooved horses are actually hurting the trail. The Incas used llamas to hike with as pack animals. So these things every single day, year after year. It's my llama on the, on the wall there, just for, for, for yeah, people who've got the visual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see, I see. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, these things year after year, I mean, they have a really big impact. So um, it's just, a, you know, an extremely important uh, consideration to have. And then you have, um, and part of our work with conservation, for example, is partnering with um, accommodations that are taking these into account, doing the, um, making the travel be carbon neutral at the very least. Uh, and, and and the reforestation projects that we're part of. Um, so it's a start. It's not, yeah. it's, it, you know, you gotta start somewhere. And then um, community, you know, again, we work with um, really remote communities and it's a really delicate subject about, you know, um, how to protect the, the, the culture, these dying cultures really. And it's not that, you know, we're coming in and saving these cultures. It's about um, working hand in hand with these communities and um, to consider what they want um, and and do if they want to stay in these remote communities um, with this lifestyle. Or uh, plenty of them of the younger kids are going into cities and then they get kind of disillusioned with what they have to work with in the city, so they're coming back home. And if there's an opportunity to have um, valuable work because of travelers that are coming in to to learn to engage you know that's that's a win-win so um working with communities throughout the sacred valley throughout you know along the great inca trail um working hand in hand with each other to to provide these incredible experiences to our travelers is um is is a big you know important um activity of ours and and then that that spills over not only to the communities, but the community of our business itself, our own workers, like regardless of where they are in the world, whether it's indigenous communities, you know, our 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 guides in Cusco, our trip designers that, you know, were born in Ireland, but now are living in Santiago. You know, it's <laughs> how can we just make sure that we're serving everybody that we're that our business is touching? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Are there are there any other kind of businesses, causes, charities, brands that kind of you look at and inspire you in, you know, in terms of what they're doing? I think um, starting with even just any all of the B Corp uh, businesses, I mean, they're taking a stance to say that, you know, they're doing business in a in a holistic way, in a way that um, that is having a positive impact. So. Patagonia is a big one. Um, it's it's a bit polarizing because they take a very specific um, political stance in the U.S., but but they are really dedicated to to doing good things around the world. And um, I just wish more businesses were were more considerate of their impact on on everyone. And so um, B Corp businesses for sure are. Are, are inspiring to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so moving, moving on from that, the 
tell us about you mentioned you mentioned Nick's walk uh, that I guess in addition to all the good stuff that you got from a research perspective like w must have been a good marketing activity as well to try and get the, the brand out there so t tell us about what I guess you could talk about that from more of a marketing angle from when when you did that and how you tried to make that work and then anything else from a marketing perspective that you've done that's been particularly effective in driving business for you and helping you grow or on, on the flip side things you've done that just haven't worked and have fallen on their face and, and not really gone as well as you'd hoped yeah i mean certainly um we're still a business at the core so we in order to stay um in order to be able to do the things we want to do we need to generate um revenues and profits and 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 all the work that we did on the great inca trail um we all care very deeply about but it's but it, and, and we're working to build awareness for which is part of the marketing side of it um but it's also about you know, getting the word out there about interesting things that we're doing and wanting that to be sincere. Um, there's plenty of, you know, kind of silly articles you can put out there. So we're just, we really are trying to build um, true, you know, quality content. And um, the Great Inca Trail was, a, was huge for that. Um, we were able to get some articles out there in big publications, um, which was a bit of a first for us because we haven't really like played like paid to play a whole lot when it comes to PR. Um, so being able to get some good PR out of that um, for based on the quality of, of the work as opposed to paying publications to put our name in their articles was really gratifying. Um, and we really bring that ethos into what we do with content. So um, we have a really robust blog and the articles um, on there are like journalistic quality, uh, most of them. And so um, that's one thing that we do when it comes to marketing. Um, we put a lot of time and resources into generating like high quality um, articles. And we share those through, you know, email marketing, our newsletters, um, social media, and that kind of thing. Um, and We've, I mean, the bread and butter of our marketing has been really relied on CPC, Google, and being ads, keyword search. Um, for better or worse, it's it's very um, efficient. <laughs> so we've uh, we've done that the last ten years. It, it curiously, it doesn't work the same in all destinations. So um, keyword searches for Peru might bring in really high quality leads for us, but keyword searches for, you know, another like Bolivia don't, for example. So um, it's not a necessarily like an, a solution for um, all your marketing or um, needs, but it, it's definitely been really, really, really important to our success. Um, is that is that based on? pay-per-click pay or on, on organic when you kind of compare? Pay-per-click, pay-per-click for sure. Yeah, yeah. We have a ways to go on. Um, I mean, we have so much to work with, but we have a ways to go on really uh, taking advantage of SEO and, you know, or, and, and organic keyword search. So um, it's definitely on, on the docket for us to spend more time with um, and optimize. Um, historically, we have relied heavily on pay-per-click 
and um, and just the the activities that we're doing that we can get some good PR from. So um, and and then you know we've played around like for example we were we paid for the prize for the Price is Right to be the prize on the Price is Right once, which was right. really kind of just fun to do, but I don't know how much you know return we got on that it's hard to gauge um yeah and you know we how did that come about they 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 solicited us they asked us if we wanted to be and we're like oh let's try it <laughs> yeah 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 so i think it was more for us to be the prize on the price of right i think that was that was fun than yeah, than yeah. really thinking we'd get a whole lot of return on it um, you know, another really, really fun thing we did was we, in the pandemic, we um, we created these silly um, uh, videos, like short clips that were kind of playing to the times. Um, one had a couple that was, you know, making sourdough. One was like of a guy, you know, um, hoarding toilet paper. So it was playing into the times and they were really entertaining, though. I thought they were so beautifully done. Um, and I would have loved to broadcast them, you know, across all the social media. We tried, we put, we put them on YouTube for a bit, but YouTube requires such heavy investment to be seen. And we just didn't have the resources, especially at that time. So, um, I think they did get seen, they were entertaining, um, but they felt they might have fallen a little short just because we didn't have the resources to really get them out there. And I think they could have gone viral. They were super great. Um, but, yeah. you know, think we, we try to we're trying to try new things and um, and and we're a small team ultimately. So little by little. Um, but that yeah. was fun. Nice. Very nice. What about the biggest like challenges that you faced? over the years obviously yeah we're we're in there we're, we're still battling away against the pandemic any anything anything else outside of the pandemic that you would say along the way has been particularly particularly difficult the shift really from um, closing the ground operator and going um, virtual was was a huge challenge we had never worked virtually before that i mean figuring out how to run you know um the organization um, in a virtual format and, and and just all the shifts that we had to make um, to grow out of that challenging experience were, <clears throat> I mean, it was extremely eye-opening. I think it made us so much stronger ultimately, um, but but it was a definitely a tough couple of years to, to transition. Um, so yeah, that would be that would probably be the major challenge. And I just see um, juggling all of the different things that we want to do as a self-funded company is just like an ongoing challenge in itself. Um, we've been able to grow a lot over the last decade, but because we've never taken outside investment, it's been at our own pace. And that's um, been extremely important in that it allows us to do things our way. Um, which I don't think any of us want to give up, but at the same time, you can only do go so fast. And I think we were pretty conservative along the way too, especially with that challenge, you know, early on um, of having to close the the ground operator. So probably in the last couple of years, what we've learned most is that we need to push harder to be a little bit less conservative, ironically, um, and take on some risk 
so that we can um, grow into the the full fledged you know ideal business that we that we dream about. Yeah, and what does that risk look like? Does that look like outside investment? Does that yeah is that so is that taking more of a like yeah I guess a calculated jump on some some things that you're inve- where you're investing your own you know finances or or things like that. Yeah, I think we're we're still open to conversations about outside investment, but I think it does mean um, uh, pushing forward to really just put more money into certain initiatives, um, and and also take on the 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 goal of growing faster. So we've been focused on South America, Peru, and Ecuador, um, grown to Patagonia. Um, we're still pretty light in Brazil, um, and it's been a decade. And so now the big shift that we're looking at is going global and bringing this type of travel, private, custom, transformative, meaningful um, travel to around the world so, um, so that we can offer more uh, unique opportunities to our clients, so they can travel with us to more destinations, so that we can get involved in other regions around the world that we have less firsthand experience with now and grow in that way. So we're looking at opening, um, for example, Africa next and and eventually going global. So that's going to be a, a big change and um, I think a way to 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 force us to um, to go to go big or go home really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to tie this into a bit of a random one, when we, you know, when we were talking about the timeline before, and was there ever a point where, because I guess it, you know, all these kind of things we're talking about here, these are proper business things, you know, how to form a a, a great business that runs well and grows and, and does all these cool things. When you started out, was that your mentality with it, or were you just? enjoying something because it sounded like fun and was there a point where and if so what was the point that you kind of went from oh this is a fun play thing to this is a proper business that I want to do all these things with I think all of us in in the business have a healthy um dose of idealism so I think that was always part of it from the beginning um we had big ambitions big goals but um but I think early on, you know, we were just younger in our careers. You can, you can only, um, you have to go through the, the evolution of the, uh, you know, in the missteps and to get where you are today. So I don't think we just, we couldn't imagine what we had ahead of us back then because we were just um, brand new. And, <laughs> and now that we've been through a lot of speed bumps and, um, and and we're still working towards that same goal. I think we just have a lot more knowledge and expertise to work with, um, and a lot more maturity to work with to help us get there and feel ready to really push now. Feel like we're finally ready. We've got a lot of things established um, to where we can take it to the next level. One, going global. Two, doubling down on the tech side of our business um, to really make sure that we have the foundation. Um, to manage that type of growth and size. And it's not just yeah. about being the biggest. That's certainly not the the goal. It's about having the biggest impact. Yeah, yeah. 
there's a cool book that I'm reading at the moment called Small Giants that uh, is a really good read on that. Front. I'll have to check like, it out. Yeah, <laughs> businesses that stayed small but had that had big impact. Uh, yeah, I would recommend it. Um, you've clearly got a yeah, just just through that example of going from that stage of oh, I'm going to dive in and have a go at this business with these two guys who have started <laughs> something up to knowing what you know now and the way you're talking about things is clearly like a sort of healthy appetite for learning and developing you've mentioned personal development a, you know a few times uh, and then you mentioned about going and doing the MBA in the in the pandemic why why did you go and do an MBA in the pandemic when you'd picked up all this practical knowledge of doing things I think I wanted to know you know, the theoretical side of things and um, be exposed also to just more mentorship and more um, more ideas. Because we're a small team, um, that's been a little, I mean, I'm incredibly inspired by my coworkers and they are, you know, really, really um, great leaders and, and have a lot to offer. But we're a small team. And so I was kind of inspired to reach out beyond to a larger network of mentors. I joined a um, I joined a networking group for women in travel. I um, I got involved with the I mean, I was I did the MBA and um, made closer friendships with um, both my peers and professors. And so that was all extremely beneficial, extremely fulfilling for me at that time. And um, I needed to do it. I needed to kind of get out there and see what else was out there, be exposed to other ways of thinking. How did all these other big um, companies get to where they are today? What's the theory behind it? <clears throat> and it's not like it's all incredibly um, applicable to my specific business, but it was really, really helpful just as for my own personal growth as a professional to understand, to have more exposure to all of that um, and kind of understand where I sit in it. And, and also a bit gratifying to see that I, a lot of it I had, I had had gained from my own practical, like personal experience yeah. in the company over the years. Um, so it was a bit of more of a, like a validation experience that, you know? Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. What do you do on a kind of ongoing basis to to learn there, there obviously is that just exposure to doing things and you just have to you come across a scenario and you have to work out how to do it do you do anything else to aid your personal development just kind of on, on an ongoing basis um listening to things reading things mm -hmm. yeah watching stuff whatever it might be yeah definitely a lot of um I do a lot of podcasts I love podcasts <laughs> so there's hey, I do listen to welcome a news here <laughs> <laughs> I listen to a lot of different podcasts on different topics that I really find interesting. I've talked a lot. What kind of stuff? What are your fav favorite podcasts? <laughs> I've talked a lot about John McWhorter. He, to my friends and family, he's a linguist, a linguist, a professor, and he has a podcast called Lexicon Valley that I love that talks about um, the evolution of languages and in a really beautiful way. Um, that's one example. There's to all kinds of podcasts though that I that I love just for their stories or um, even uh, psychology based podcast news so I definitely am always listening to podcasts um, and then 
I I like to read a lot too books about um like meditation even and um enlightenment. <laughs> That's what I've been interested in more more recently at least. Um Yeah. Yeah. Another another thing I'm reading at the moment on that front is a book called Awareness. Um I've got my kind of when I yeah, when I want to get in when I was slightly more technical, but it's a bit more story led the small giants one, but the other one is my, my kind of bedtime reading is called, is called awareness. Uh, and the name of the guy is escaping me. I think he's like Brazilian or he's got a Portuguese sounding name, but I'll, I'll put it in the show notes after, but, um, yeah, he's it. That, that's a cool book along. Yeah. On that front as well. Uh, there's one I just read about um, like personal power and 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 actually goes through like each of your chakras. So it might be a little out there for people, but it's called Anatomy of the Spirit. And um, that was a really powerful book that that I just read. So, um, yeah. yeah, I love to hear what others are doing and exploring. And so, um, you know, books that talk about other people's work, business, mm-hmm. um, whether it's business related or or like spiritual related, it's, it's all really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony DeMello, the guy is called. Oh, I just, okay. Uh, I did it at Google, but that's it. Yeah. That is a good, a good read. I look, yeah. I think the podcast world is, uh, yeah, obviously every man and his dog, including the one here is uh, starting <laughs> podcaster, but I, you know, I just think it's incredible that you can now go and listen to conversations with, you know, the person who runs Spotify or, you know, people who have just started these incredible businesses that, you know, guys that have run businesses for 40 years. That's just, you it's know, amazing. Billion, exactly. Doing billions of pounds and you're just listening to them talk about their experiences. I think uh, I take so much from, um, yeah, from those kind of things that I just don't think you could get previously. And speaking of marketing, um, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible tool too, this, the, the audio world that's growing. Um, and it's something that I'm passionate about on a personal level. So I'm, I'm interested to get involved as well. I mean, what can we do when it comes to like clubhouse, TikTok, you know, the podcasts, everything to, to shift it to the, to, to audio messaging, I think is really powerful. So, um, I think yeah. that's in our future as well. We'll, we'll, we'll head in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's been, yeah, I mean, certainly for, for me, it's just been a, it's a great tool just for having, talking to interesting people, an excuse to get in touch with people and just say, hey, do you, can I talk to you for a bit? And, you know, a lot of people want to, you know, they're kind of open to that and it's a good conversation starter. Um, but, it, you know, obviously from a business point of view, it's really good as well. You know, we've had, we've, you know, we've had people who have come on board and started as clients who found out about us through the podcast. And I feel like by the time they get in touch, almost the sales process is done. Like they've listened to us talk. They've listened to, they've got familiar with me. They feel like they've got to know me a bit more. So you're so much further down that, down that route as well. When, you know, when people do it, obviously it's so true. Like what they're listening to, which I'm not sure everyone will, but uh, yeah, some people, <laughs> some people might switch off immediately and never want to, never want to hear again. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, I, it, there's more relationship building as opposed to a, yeah, like a blog post or something like that. that has it's less, super less powerful marketing and and also just a way to be heard and 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 make sure that people understand what you're what you're offering, right? And have meaningful connections. It's it's it, with the changes that are coming in marketing too. Like without with um, not, no longer going, I can't talk. We're no longer going to have cookies. You know, for example, to be able to track people and remarket to them nonstop. For example, like how. 
So there's this big shift towards much more um, authentic um, relationship building in marketing mm. instead of, um, I don't know, trying to like manipulate you into buying yeah, a certain yeah. product, right? And so it's more about just like, here I am authentically, am I a good fit for you or not? And I think that is incredible. And I'm excited to see how that shifts. And you can see big names trying to imitate that authenticity in their in their commercials and their marketing. But you can also see how that feels fake. And so yeah. I think these podcasts, for example, is an incredible way to, to have these authentic um, connections and help people understand what you're all about at the same time. Yeah. As one example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what kind of, how, how does your day-to-day -day look, Reva? What do you, you know, what, what's your structure? Do you have routines, like habits through the week? You mentioned you've, you've kind of got the flexibility in the team as to like how you work and when you take holidays and things like that. What, what yeah, what, what does a, what does a, a normal week look like? <laughs> um, if I'm at home in Lima, I'm in my office here. Um, most of the day I'll, you know, just typical things, exercise in the morning, um, uh, take meetings, take some time to focus on, you know, something um, that I'm working on, put on the music to, to get in the zone. Um, my daughter, my three-year-old daughter comes home from school, have lunch with her, um, maybe go on an errand. So the flexibility is awesome. It really comes to pl into play, though, um, in the sense of, you know, how much I do travel. And so even though I'm not doing the trip designing anymore, um, I live between the U.S. and Peru. I'm based here, but I go to the U.S. very frequently. I have family there, I have friends there. I still feel very connected to the to the place in general and so um, and the culture. So for me, going back and forth is really important and not I, I get stagnant if I just stay in one place. So going back and forth to the U.S. Um, and also fitting in like mini trips. I've focused largely on South America because it's close, but that's going to change in the future. I have plans to go back to Europe finally, um, off to Africa. I want to I want to I want to get out and explore more. Um, but being able to work in a remote place where I can just, you know, connect on my computer from anywhere in the world is extremely valuable to me for someone like me that likes this lifestyle of being able to get out there and, and travel a lot. So I'll do like a long weekend in, um, you know, northern Peru at the beach and then come back and then I'll work for three weeks from the U.S. but actually be at my computer every day. So it kind of just depends and that keeps things interesting for me. Yeah, yeah, nice. How how do you the kind of family balance with that? How do you how do you manage that? Because that's a yeah, that's a, you know from personal experience, I know the challenges of trying to run a business and then do you know be the best you can <laughs> be with the family as well is a is a challenging balance. It's an ongoing challenge for sure, um, and I think just like finding the right balance for you of the personal and the professional you know, it's, it's the same dance you're playing with your family life, you know, making sure you're, you have enough time for yourself, enough time for your kids, your partner, and uh, just kind of go with the flow and do your best because you're always, if you focus on the fact that it's never enough, you're always going to feel like it's never enough. So I just try to yeah. live in the present and be present in those moments that I'm in. Um, 
which is not always easy. I can be stuck on my phone and my daughter carries around a calculator as if it's her phone copying me and I'm not <laughs> proud of it. Um, but it's, you know, we just do the best that we can. So my daughter, I take with me a lot on these trips. I have um, my mom that helps out who's now um, retired. And um, we have a nanny here in Peru that will also bring with me a lot to travel so I can I can take her around the world with me. Um, my husband's nice. used to it. I'm in and out of the house. <laughs> Some I try yeah. to encourage him to come with me as much as possible, but you know he has his own like professional obligations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Hey, she'll be a well-traveled little girl then. <laughs> yes, she certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so listen, time's absolutely flown by, Riva. So I'll I'll start to bring it to a to a close. Um, in terms of. Like if you you know speaking to people, someone's listening who might be thinking of starting a travel business or who has recently started something. Like what what advice would you give to someone early in the journey or thinking about embarking on the journey that yeah kind of shows you know the lessons you've learned from from what you've done. Probably to reach out and 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 network as much as possible to get um, information, get resources, uh, get assistance. There's so much to learn. If I think back to the beginning days, I mean, we've come a really long way. <laughs> so don't feel like you have to do it all by yourself. Like, you know, even if it's just through mentorship, through through those networks to get, you know, someone's half an hour here and there to get to, to pick their brain for their knowledge, I think is super valuable. Don't be afraid to to ask for help, um, ask for information, because that can they can be everything, you know, to get you going, um, and and just stay true to your own values, your own, um, you know, your your own ambitions. Don't like keep your confidence high and get out there and and just do your thing. I don't know what else to yeah, say. Yeah. I mean, don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say like because a lot of people get worried about being criticized or, or taking a wrong turn and making mistakes. And I, I think there's something really valuable to like what that mantra, the tech scene these days of like fail fast, because you need to get out there and just try things and meet people and, um, be curious, um, explore and, and don't be afraid to, to, to make those mistakes. Cause that's, what's going to make you stronger and, and, and help you, um, continue down your path, not stay stagnant. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for just blindly diving in, isn't there? I think if you knew if you knew what you didn't know, then you'd never do anything. So you can right. uh, kind of just dive dive in and work it out as you as you go along. Yeah, for sure. But there's uh, to the thing you were saying before as well about reaching out. I think um, yeah, you know, I think when you first start out, you think, oh, I can't contact this person or that person. Why would they reply to me? And it's surprising how the more sort of ballsy you get with things like that of, of thinking oh I'll just take a punt and send an email to that person if you do it in a very sort of targeted bespoke personalized way and you're not just spraying out the same hundred emails mm -hmm. to a hundred people and you actually find a few and go specifically to them uh, it is surprising how many people reply to that kind of thing and are willing to help in some shape or form you know obviously not everyone's going to reply but uh you know, I've certainly had it where I've reached out to people who I see as the celebrities in the industry and then <laughs> they reply within like three hours. <laughs> Just like, yeah. this is crazy. 
I think that's been a, a big learning for me in the last few years is just how willing people are to help each other. And, um, and, and, and I definitely feel it among women too, in a big way, because we want to support each other's success. Um, and so tapping into that is just an incredible resource, um, of, of, of the, your own network of people and, um, and, and it makes, it inspires me to want to give back as well. And, and realize that, yeah, I have picked up a thing or two over the years. And if I can help someone out um, on their journey, uh, that would be extremely gratifying for me. So um, that's been something I've been exploring. Like, what can I do to give back to to like younger generations coming up? Yeah, love it. Love it. You mentioned you were in the network, a networking group for women in travel. What, what was that mm-hmm. called? Let's give it a shout out. If, women uh, travel leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, women travel leaders. So um, their new network of of women in the industry, and um, it's been really fun to be part of and and meet uh, meet other women that are that are working hard to change the industry too. You know, alongside yeah. me. So um, you know, they might even be competitors, but but we're together. We are shifting the industry um, little by little, and I think in a po- positive way. So it's fun yeah. to to share ideas. Like it, like yeah. it um cool it's been lovely talking to you Reva. thanks so much for thanks so much for, for taking having the time. me Tom. um <laughs> like i said it's it's flown by there's as as anticipated there's loads of um excellent little nuggets there that i'm sure people can can take away and and make use of um to finish any anything kind of closing thoughts anything else you'd like to share with people and then let us know where to find where to find you, where the best places to find you, find the business, all, all the links and, and things like that. Yeah, we're um, saexpeditions.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> so feel free to reach out if you have any questions. And I'm always happy to be a resource to anyone, whether it's to plan a trip or to understand our business model better, understand the B Corp process better. Um, anyone can feel free to to reach out to us and ask for uh, ask to talk to me, and I'd be happy to connect. Okay, fantastic. Like I said, it's been great, Reva. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Bye. See you later. And there it was. As soon as we recorded that episode, I knew it was perfect to see out season two. Reva's got so much insight into both business and travel, and I feel like we only scratched the surface with that one and what she could have shared. So if you want more, you can find her on various social channels we mentioned, which I'll link to in the show notes, along with the SA Expedition accounts. There's also loads of other resources in those show notes, including things about the B Corp process and the Women Travel Leaders Network, which I'm sure many will find really helpful. And you can find all those show notes and links at seotravel.co.uk forward slash Riva hyphen Bake. So that's R-I-V-A hyphen B-A-C-Q-U-E-T. I've loved recording the second batch of episodes for season two, and I hope all of you listening have found them interesting and valuable. We're always looking for feedback and to get better, so please do email me on tom at seotravel.co.uk for any improvements you think we can make. Share your favourite things with us or any people that you think we should have on in season three. We are always open to suggestions, so please do get in touch. If you're a hotel or travel company looking for marketing support from people who really care about your success, then please do get in touch at seotravel.co.uk and we'd love to hear from you. You can also read more about our 100% initiative there, 
which outlines how we give all the profit we make from the business to educational charities, both at home and around the world. We gave £25,000 away last year, and we'd love your support in spreading the word so that we can make that number even bigger in the coming years and hit our million pound target. Finally, if you haven't already, please do give our other episodes a listen, which are all linked to at seotravel.co.uk forward slash podcast. It's packed with value there for anyone who works in travel and anyone who wants to hear from like-minded people with similar challenges and interesting solutions. So yeah, please do go into the back catalogue and enjoy the insight and information that lots of intelligent people have shared there. So that's the end of season two. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've loved doing it. Let us know on social media via email or in the comments on your podcast platform. If you want to hear more, what you'd enjoy most, and we'll do our best to bring you more where that came from. Thanks so much to everyone who has listened, who supported us, who shared the word. We're extremely grateful for all the help and we really want to keep making what we do better and increasingly useful for those that do listen. So please do reach out. I'm always on the end of the email. It is, it's my contact. So uh, yeah, please do get in touch and, and I'd love to hear from you. It's time for a break now. So whilst we cook up some juicy ideas for season three, please do dive into that back catalogue, make use of those ideas, put them into action. And then, yeah, we look forward to coming back and giving you more things to work on in the future. So until next time, happy travels.